Thank you, Bob. And we're just so happy you and your family moving here from the Midwest as exciting things are happening, happening here at Lake Forest. Uh, here on the west side of the lake. It's great to be with you guys today. Again, my name is Mike, if we haven't met before. Um, and today, uh, I want to give you guys as a congregation a message from the other members of the Lake Forest family of churches. Uh, lake Forest Church Davidson, Lake Forest Church El Buen Samaritano, which is sp our Spanish-speaking congregation, Lake Forest Church Huntersville, and now there's this new gathering little launch team that will launch Lake Forest Church U City, University City in the fall. And hey, we just all as a family of churches and you guys worshiping online because that's the majority of the church right now, we want to say well done, you guys, on staying unified and on mission during the pandemic. Like, super well done, congregation. And stay unified. I exhort you to stay unified. Listen, as we start to reopen, everybody's going to have a different opinion on the pace and the method. Stay unified. Unity in the body of Christ under your leadership here is so important, so much more important than like, we're going to take off a mask a week too soon or too late. Just love each other, serve each other in this. We also, as the family of churches, on the first Sunday after Aaron is on his sabbatical, we want to say, well done on moving toward opening day in August of your building that will serve this community for generations to come with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Like, well done. You're all founders. This will be something that will be memorable and is a legacy for you and your family. So I'm just well done, we want to say. Uh, and well done being a healthy enough church, particularly those of you in staff and leadership. Pastor Aaron can go on a well-earned sabbatical after eight years leading this incredibly successful startup church of your beautiful church of people following Jesus together. We're just proud of you. Now, one of the benefits of being a family of churches is that none of us pastors or the elders are leading the church alone. We pastor, we, we mentor each other. We, uh, we are iron sharpening iron. So in fact, your pastor Aaron and I, we co-wrote our Easter sermon this year. We're just simpatico like that. So the parts of it that you really liked, um, I wrote those. Uh, uh, we wrote half of that Easter sermon at Crafty Burger here on this side of the lake, and the other half we wrote at Royal Bliss, uh, also here in Denver. So, hey, turn in your Bible in Judges chapter 4. So I want you to see what we're tripping through here today, this narrative, uh, as we are in this part of the whole story of the whole Bible in a whole year. And I hope you guys are tracking Westlake folks, uh, doing our Bible readings so we show up prepared. Let me summarize the whole book of Judges for you. Okay, this is the whole book of Judges. This book tells the same story over and over 12 times. I'm not lying to you. Uh, here's the story. God's good, and God loves his children. And when people say yes to God and are adopted into God's family, he wants to bless his people because he's good that way. And God, we've read in the story so far, God has adopted Israel to be his beloved people as a community and as individuals. And he blesses them because that's the kind of God he is. And then the next part of this repetitive story in the book of Judges, God's people get fat, happy, and lazy with God's blessings. God's people experience a little bit of success in the promised land. And they're like, we don't need God. We did all this ourselves. Aren't we awesome? I'm awesome. They sing their own version of that song. And they take God for granted, and they drift away from God. And, and then the next part of the story that's repetitive is God's people each time in the book of Judges, they wake up, and they're like, man, being far from God is a bad way to live, and it's sucking some life out of some part of me. 
And God's people, because they have the Spirit of God, are like, why don't we reach back out to the Most High God now that we're experiencing some consequences of being far from Him? And because God is a good God, each of the 12 times when God's people reach back out to Him, He doesn't say, hey, you've been turning your back on me and even worshiping false gods for a while. Talk to the hand. I don't have time for you because He's a good God. Instead, his response is always, I'm so glad you're back. I love you. How can I serve you and bless you again? And because he's a good God, every time in the book of Judges, he comes and he saves and he rescues and he blesses again. That's the book of Judges, 12 times in a row. It's the same story, different names. And if you're here today online, if you're here in person, by the way, I ate out over here in Denver a couple of nights ago, and I saw a bunch of y'all at this restaurant. If you're vaccinated or you're comfortable whether you're vaccinated or not, hey, the best live music this side of Lake Norman is here on Sunday mornings. That was super awesome, and there's still room for more of you to register. So if you're going out to eat, man, it's time to start reorienting back to in-person worship when there's room. We're doing so very safely here. You guys are doing a great job. Then listen, if you're here today and you're like, you find yourself like moonwalking in your relationship with God, like you're going backwards, if you've turned your back on God completely, or if you've barely ever talked to God, if somebody just kind of brought you today or because you're at your mama's house, she's making you listen. The book of Judges shows you and me what to do next. Judges 4, verse 1. Again, can you say the word again with me? Again, let's say it one more time. Again, because this happens 12 times. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This chapter of the Bible is for an again kind of people. Again, I took God's blessings for granted in my own life. Again, I forgot how awesome God's word is and how it speaks to me and gives sustenance and substance to my life. And I quit meeting with God daily in his word. Again, I fell back into that habit that hurts me and hurts people I love. This chapter is for an again kind of people, as is the whole book of Judges. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and now that Ehud was dead, that was their previous leader. So the Lord, they gives them a consequence, like good parents do, sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. It took them 20 years to do what? Then they cried to the Lord for help. See, we're told in the New Testament book of Hebrews that a good, good heavenly father disciplines his children whom he loves. It's a bad dad who doesn't discipline their children. So he's a good, good father, and he disciplines his children to help them wake up and not go further into their own self-destruction. It's for their own good. Now, I want you to notice something here. Half of the Israelites' troubles in this period of their history were of their own making. You have done that yourself said Obi-Wan Kenobi. The other half of their troubles were just because we live in a fallen world, man. Like, and the Canaanites, the people who happen to be living nearby in the promised land, who overtake and oppress them, happen to be one of the most historically immoral societies. So the fact that they now rule over them, they are uniquely oppressive. So half of their troubles are of their own making, the other half from living in a fallen world. Ain't that my life and yours? Isn't it? Like, when I point at something or someone that's the cause of my troubles right now, right? I got my other three fingers pointing back at me. 
I'm three-fifths of the majority of the troubles going on in my life at any given time. And two-fifths of the things that are troubling me in life are, are from other people and things. There's an old song that says, Mo money, mo problems. It's just part of the deal. Because really, the fact of being human in this world is mo days on this fallen earth, mo problems. They will happen. We should expect it. It's part of the deal until Jesus Christ returns and rolls it all up into the new heavens and the new earth that we're going to proclaim in our closing worship song. When again, people like you, like me, look up and realize, man, I got troubles that I brought on myself. I got troubles some other fools have done to me. What do we do? Well, the good response to besetting problems that they had in that day, verse 3, they cried to the Lord for help. The people of God remembered who they were, and they cried out to their good, good Father. God doesn't think that when you find yourself in trouble or problems or crisis, when that happens to be the moment you cry out to Him, when things are not going great and you need Him, God doesn't think that's lame for you. And be like, man, you're just praying a mercenary prayer because you're in trouble. That's the only reason. You don't even love me for myself. You just want me to get you out of trouble. God doesn't say that. He goes, welcome back. How can I serve you? Because he's a good God. And he always wants to bless you and me. Israel was living far from God morally and relationally, but they still had confidence to cry out to God. They still knew their identity as a beloved child of God. They knew who they were, adopted and secure, beloved children of God's covenant, who in spite of their faithlessness to him, he would be a good, living, loving father and be faithful to them in life and in eternity. So they did the right thing. They turned in the right direction. You and me, friends here at Lake Forest. I know I'm just like the older guy who Aaron sometimes lets come and preach. Uh, and he's your awesome super pastor guy. But friends of Lake Forest, because we're in the family of churches together, live out of your identity in Christ, in good times and in bad. Not your identity of shame over where you have been or what was done to you. Not out of your identity of failure. Not of your out of your identity of, man, I'm somebody who tries hard. Not out of your identity of success or, I finally got stuff comfortable for me and my family. We're good. Do not live out of those identities. Those are fine and they're part of who you are. But the only identity that will refresh power, goodness, and contentment in your life is top of mind that you are a beloved daughter or son of God in whom he is well pleased because of Christ in you, the hope of glory through faith. So, in case anybody else here, like me, identifies with being an again kind of a person, I forgot about God. What are you crying out to the Lord for right now for help? Longtime followers of Jesus, there's a lot of you here. Hear God's word to you today. Do you still make your troubles, your hurts, those of loved ones, a matter of urgent prayer and crying out to your heavenly Father the way the Israelites do here? Because he never tires of you running to him. Let us not grow weary in crying out to our good God each and every time. Because Jesus said, our posture is just to be ask, seek, knock, and the door will be opened. Not always the door we expect or the one we request, but always the right one. 
Israel was even worshiping other false gods right now, like some really heinous stuff was going on. But their cry was to turn back to him, and God heard. Well, I want to simply read through the rest of chapter 4 of Judges, so if you have the Bible open at home, you can kind of trip through it. Because verse 4, the answer to God's prayer, to, to the Israelites' prayer for help, is the next word. Verse 4, now Deborah. Deborah is the beginning answer to Israel's prayer. She was a prophet, the wife of Lebedo. She was leading or judging Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Here's an important detail. Why did they go up to where Deborah was? Well, because the Canaanites, this is spoken elsewhere in the book of Judges, and uh, archaeology confirms it, the Canaanites had chariots made out of iron. This is the Iron Age, and the Israelites did not. So the Canaanites are ruling over the flatland and the valley where the chariots could go. Uh, and they limited the commerce and the travel of the Israelites, and they were up in the hill country. So they were hillbillies at this point, the Israelites. And, and so they would stay in the hills in order to be out of reach of the Canaanites' overlords at this point. So they went up to Deborah, their leader, in the hills. Verse 6, she sent for Barak, son of a guy, in a place, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of these two northernmost Israelite tribes and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, remember he's the commander of the Canaanite army, with his chariots, there they are, and his troops, I will lead him to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Verse 8, Barak said to, her, to Deborah, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going, Deborah, because you're awesome. Verse 9, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. If you need me to be your pacifier, if you need to be, to be your little blankie, I'll go with you, she says to this military general. But because of the course you're taking leaning into me instead of the Lord, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera, the Canaanite general, into the hands of a woman. And we're like, oh, that's probably going to be Deborah. wonder how that's going to turn out. That's probably going to be cool. So Deborah went with General Barak to the place, and there he summoned the two northern tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now, verse 11, Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites and pitched his tent by the great tree in this same area. This is a nomadic people group who attached themselves to Israel and are now sharing their faith. Verse 12, when they told Sisera, the, the Canaanite general, that Barak, the Israelite general, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned to the river all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, verse 14, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down, right? He's down where the chariots are, Mount Tabor, with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Now, note here. This is super important. The next chapter, chapter 5 of Judges, is a poetic victory, a war victory song. If you're like into war victory songs, you're going to like chapter 5. That's your homework. Go home and read it. But it's, it's a song, but it, it seems to give, scholars think it gives a few details about this battle. And one of them, it seems that the Lord caused a great rain to occur, 
And these chariots were all in this one narrow valley, and they got bogged down in the mud. And this is the way, then, when the Israelite armies came down out of the hills, they were able to win the victory. That's what it seems like chapter 5 describes. Verse 16, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as a place, and all the Canaanite troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, the Canaanite general, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of the Kenite, because they had an alliance. Verse 18, Jael, remember the woman, went out to meet Sisera and said, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket, or it may be a rug. We're not sure. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. Well, she went further than that and offered a sign of of Bedouin hospitality, and she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Hey, stand in the doorway of the tent, this Canaanite general said to Jael. If somebody comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. And then, because he had just fought a huge battle and drank some warm milk, he did what you and I would do. Dude fell dead asleep. So check this out, verse 21. If you haven't ever read this chapter, you're going to like this, maybe. 21. But Jael picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, like through his head, it stuck in the ground, and he died. Do you know why JL, by the way, this is a detail, was so efficacious with the tent peg and the hammer? Because in nomadic society of the Kenites, uh, we understand this culturally, and in that day, the woman of the house was expected to break down the tent when it was time to move and set it back up when it was time to settle somewhere else. So she had practice swinging that hammer into that peg, and it took one shot. I got one shot. Verse 22. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of General Sisera. Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple stuck in the ground, dead. On that day, God, verse 23, subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin king of Canaan until they destroyed him. God heard their cry. They were under oppression from the Canaanite people for 20 years. They cried out, and what I just read you was God's real-world answer with real-world messy details. God heard their cry, answered with a person, Deborah. God's will is to answer some other people's cry for help with another person, you. This is part of God's will for your life and for mine. Sometimes people are like, man, what's God's will for my life? Am I supposed to move there? Am I supposed to take this job or that, buy this house or the other one? Dude, a large part of God's will for your life and mine, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is to live on mission so that you are God's answer to one or more people's cry for help in their time of trouble, the way Deborah is in Judges 4. There was this unique Sunday two years ago in June when I just sort of realized it in the middle of my sermon that three Lake Forest Church mission trips were overlapping on that Sunday. And there were over 70 Lake Forest Church ministry partners from various churches waking up that Sunday morning in Honduras, Bahamas, and Bolivia. 
in answer to God hearing the cry, formed or unformed but guttural, of vulnerable, poor, including sex-trafficked children in Peña Blanca, Honduras, in Cochabamba, Bolivia, and on Long Island, the poorest island in the Caribbean. Those children cry out every day in those circumstances, Lord, hear our cry. And did any of the Lake Forest people who were on one of those three mission trips that day, did any of them know the names of the children in those places that they were going to meet that day? Did they know the names ahead of time? No. But God heard those children and specifically sent those Lake Forest people, more importantly, our mission partners in each of those countries who are unbelievable apostolic leaders that we're privileged to serve under their leadership when we go to these places to rescue, abandon, and abuse children in all three of those nations. God uses people as his primary method to rescue people from the troubles that they are in. God doesn't primarily use phantoms or ghosts. He doesn't genie blink stuff generally. He's decided to use people in real world circumstances just like Deborah right here. Christian, God gives you and I salvation, not primarily for comfort of self. Hey, man, I'm good now. Chill. But primarily in order to live a life that is sent on mission. Are you letting God use you to rescue people in trouble? Whether it's the type of trouble that people on your cul-de-sac, on your street, deal with day in and day out in their families, or larger troubles. Are you letting him use you to rescue through your life, your actions, through your profession, uh, through your financial giving to God's work in this world, through the minimum of a tithe. You and I don't have to be God to know who's praying the prayer right now. Lord, help us. That was the prayer of the Israelites there in verse 3. We don't have to be God to know who's praying that prayer. You don't have to know who in your apartment building is praying that prayer. Lord, help me. You don't have to be God to know who on your block, two houses over, is praying that prayer? Lord, help me. I'm alone in this. Middle schoolers, high schoolers, you don't have to know a name in your grade of somebody who's praying, Lord, help me. I feel alone. I need a friend. Because here's what you know. Everyone you and I interact with is more fragile than you know. Everyone you talk to, right behind their little tiny eyeballs that you see, Right behind there, the, almost everybody you talk to is crying out a form of a pre, plea to the Lord, help me in my trouble. And you and I just have to be faithful and available, like Deborah, for when God pushes us or pulls us to be his instrument of healing to the broken, a companion to the lonely, compassion to the hurting, a gospel witness to those lonely from God. And we just need to Obey when God opens up a need in front of us. The way Deborah answered this call to serve God's people. What is your, I've called this the holy hurt. Because if we're becoming more like Jesus, then we're tuning our hearts more and more to the cries of individuals and entire classes of people who are crying out, Lord, help me. And I've called this the holy hurt that God gives to each of us. What is yours? What, what is your holy hurt? For Deborah, it was that her people were oppressed cruelly. Whatever your holy hurt is, God is inviting you to be a 
Deborah in answer to that cry. Do you know you're wholly hurt yet? Teenagers, super cool time in life. For you to just be talking to the Holy Spirit, what's my holy hurt, my unique hurt in this world? I'm going to partner with God to help heal a bit of it. What vulnerable, hurting, oppressed, or poor, or unspiritual population have you heard that's a call of God for you to engage somehow? I know a 17-year-old at Lake Forest Huntersville who shares with me often that her holy hurt is our mistreatment of God's natural creation, and, and she's called by God to deploy herself in her education and ultimately her career to help heal the land in specific ways. Maybe for one or two of you, your holy hurt is the fact that young people today, teenagers and 20-somethings, are struggling more with mental illness and a sense of security than any generation in memory. It was already the case, but now after the pandemic, it's more so. You could serve as a mentor at a local school. Y'all are awesome at that, by the way, Westlake Church. Or you could serve as a leader in our youth ministry here to be part, one part of God healing this, what is now a generational hurt. Or maybe your holy hurt is the fact that there are more sex slaves today than ever before on a single day in the history of planet Earth. Don't let anybody fake you out with happy talk that life and history just gets better and better. We don't need God. Yes, we need God because there's evil in the human heart. And only God can heal this. And we're to partner with him to heal some of these hurts. And so if modern-day sex trafficking in our state is part of your holy hurt, we partner with organizations that do something about that. If your misery is your ministry, as Rick Warren once said, if, if that you're miserable about that, that's your holy hurt. God's calling you to join with him. You need to know the answer to this question. I'm just telling you. you got to know the answer to this question, Lake Forest. Or me and you are in danger of living only for our own comfort and safety, unaware of others' troubles, which is easy to do in Lake Norman because we live in an amazing place. We've been given much. Let's be Deborah who answers other people's cry. Deborah heard God call her as she heard her people cry out for rescue. By the way, I want you to know this. This is super important. The life of the mind matters. Uh, it's good for you to know that archaeology confirms that the Canaanite city of Hazor, which is mentioned in this chapter, was destroyed at precisely this moment in ancient history in the Iron Age. The archaeology has confirmed this, confirming the overall veracity of this account, that it's an established fact is one more example you can trust the Bible as God's word. So now Deborah answers the call for head leadership in God's provision of rescue to Israel. In Judges 4, we see that God uses Deborah in her ability as a leader. But some of you don't see yourself as a leader. You're like, that's not me. Well, that's cool. Look at this. God uses Barak and his professional job skills. He was a military tactician, and God used him for what he trained for. And God uses J.L., the tent peg woman, in her strength of character as one person with a private God moment, and she followed through. You don't have to be Deborah, the leader of Israel, to answer God's call to partner with God in rescue regarding your holy hurt. Why was Deborah so useful to God and so effective? A couple of thoughts. Number one, God called a leader, Deborah, to initiate a better future. God most normally mediates his will, his way, and his rescue for people through the activity of an initiative-taking leader. 
Leadership matters. Any school you've ever gone to, any hospital you've ever worked at or been treated, any doctor's practice was initiated by an initiative-taking leader who founded that institution. And so this isn't for everybody, but it's for someone here. If God is calling you to be an initiative-taking leader about something that, in the words of Chris Rock, ain't right, like Deborah, step out and do it. If God's calling you to be an initiative-taking leader, have eyes to see that. Step out. But she was a leader, at, at like is probably her natural bent, but also as a member of God's people, she had spiritual gifts that she used to serve God's purposes, to shepherd God's people. And so number two, Deborah fully used her spiritual gifts to serve God's people. Her spiritual gifts that we know of were prophecy and judging or leadership. By the way, only three people in the Bible were mentioned as a prophet and a judge one and the same. Moses, Samuel, and Deborah. And there are many gifted women in the Bible with various spiritual gifts that we know about. Deborah is one of four women in the Old Testament to be called a prophetess. The others are Miriam, Huldah, and Isaiah's wife, interestingly. And there are gifted women in the church today. In fact, all you women are gifted by God for ministry to the people of God. Your judge, our military, spiritual, and political leader. And that's what she was. Super cool. Men, in what ways are you helping the girls or the women in your life to have confidence in who God made them and to step into whatever God's call is in their life and not be limited by vestigial societal role expectations that limit the potential of women in our society in some cases? Men, how can you help the women in your life be unconventional in a good way and cultivate and call out their gifts and talents? Number four. To those who say, well, I mean, come on, man. I read the rest of the Bible. Women in spiritual leadership is not normative in the Bible, and God only called this woman to lead because no worthy man was available. Here's my answer to that, because that is some friends of mine's explanation of this. Well, all the Israelite men happen to be trifling in this generation, and so God was forced to pick a woman to lead. But it was an exception. My answer to that? You mean to tell me that my God, the God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, the God who parted the Red Sea to rescue Israel and fed them daily with manna in the desert miraculously, my God who made water flow from the canyon rocks in the desert for the Israelites to keep them alive, my God who met Moses on the mountain and inscribed the Ten Commandments with his finger on a tablet of stone, the God who became the man Jesus and atoned for our sins through Jesus laying down his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross, and he died, and then he rose from the dead in victory over death death and suffering and evil. The God who will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes and make his kingdom of love, justice, and truth the only reality. You mean that God couldn't come up with a man to be his instrument in that generation? So he was forced to hold his nose and pick a woman just this one time, even though it offended his gender sensibilities. Shut your mouth. Don't be talking bad about my God that way. God was pleased to choose Deborah to lead his people in that day. And he is pleased to choose women in leadership for God's people today. By the way, women in leadership in the church is a 
matter that our denomination regards as a non-essential, that Christians who hold to the authority of the Bible can come to differing conclusions and agree to disagree and not disfellowship over it. But at Lake Forest, we have women pastors and elders, and I'm pointing you to the fact that God himself appointed a female to be the political, spiritual leader of all God's people with no apology. Therefore, this is just a beginning place in the Bible that all spiritual leadership roles, we believe, remain open to women and men equally among the people of God in the church, which is awesome. Number five, let me take that one step further. Deborah's spiritual leadership as a prophet and leader of God's people continues to this day. Guess what? She wrote a whole chapter of the Bible. Did you know that? It's chapter five, that's your homework. It's a victory hymn. It's considered one of the oldest original pieces or texts of what we call the Old Testament and authentic to the generation of Hebrew language from the Iron Age. Here's just the beginning of it. Judges five, verse one. On that day, Deborah and Barak, they sat down and they wrote a song together. (laughs) When the princes in Israel take the lead, When the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. And if this chapter of the Bible was written by this woman, that means a woman has been teaching every Christian in every generation ever since. And therefore, women are intended to be leaders, teachers, elders, pastors. Let me finish and have a moment of prayer. I want to return. Whenever you find yourself being an again kind of person, dude, ah, I've been forgetting God for a while all over again. You just turn, cry out to him for help yourself. Know your holy hurt. Partner with the Holy Spirit of God to be investing a part of your life and your resources in being Jesus' healing to that part of the hurt of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. How we love you. We each listen to your Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, what is my holy hurt that you have for me? And those of you who already know what it is, just talk to the Lord about it. Talk to the Lord about which part of your life, your resources has been, or in the future you want to invest Say, Jesus, I'm joining you in healing that part of the hurt in the world. And those of you who don't know what your holy hurt is, would you just ask the Holy Spirit quietly for just a moment to reveal it to you, to make it clear, and tell the Holy Spirit you're willing to just reach out the first hurt that comes across your grill and then let him speak and confirm which one is for you as a life mission. And Jesus, we love you that you came for us, even though we are again kind of people. We forget you again, and you knew it. And so thank you that you laid down your life for our sins, and you perfectly obeyed God in place of our inability to do so, so that we can live in your blessing as men and women, boys and girls, who are your beloved children in whom you are well pleased. We choose to live that way, and we choose to worship that way right now. Amen.